0: Psalm 84. Psalm 84. You know, if I had to pick one book that I had from the Bible that I could, that was the only one I could ever read, it would most certainly be the book of Romans. But my second one would be the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, we have a prayer book, we have a hymn book. And it was written by three or four different people, the book of Psalms. And Psalm 84 is, to me, a very um, sentimental psalm, you might say. To have a heart for God. And I ask you this morning, do you have a heart for God? And and when you when you have a heart for God, you will have a heart for everything that goes with God. Saint Augustine said, "Thou hast formed us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in Thee." Do we have a restless heart? Is your heart content? Is your heart satisfied? There's only one place that that can be, and that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, where we find this. Psalm 84 was written by a man who tells us that the greatest thing in life is to enjoy the blessings of a godly life. And I want to tell you folks that God blesses those who live for Him. Who live a life that is in that 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 is in when we live a life that reflects a holy God, that's what we're called to do. And many church members don't have a heart for God. Many professing believers don't have a heart for God, as we will see as we go through this. And to the psalmist, it was more important to him than anything else. His whole theme is that there is no joy, no happiness on earth, that in any way is comparable to that, to the man or woman who knows God. Now, I want to clarify here, when we say knows God, there's a difference in knowing who God is. There's a difference in saying, oh yeah, I know Him. And knowing God. You understand that? We are called to know Him. The question for us here is, are we able to say the same thing? Can we say that as far as we're concerned, the loving kindness of God is better than life itself? Is communion with God the supreme in your entire life and existence. The writer of this psalm tells us that there are certain things that are absolute essentials if we are to enjoy God as He did. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, "'How lovely are your dwelling places, O Yahweh of hosts! My soul has longed and even fainted for the courts of Yahweh.' My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now the psalmist says that when I go into the temple of God, or the tabernacle of God, or the place of worship of God, he said, there is no greater place to me on earth. He says, I go in here, he says, how lovely are your dwelling places. He says, my soul longs and even fainted for the courts of Yahweh. My heart and my flesh sing for joy. Something I see that we're missing in our lives today, in many of the lives of many professing Christians, is something that is a a direct fruit of the Spirit. Joy. You know why we have no joy? Joy. I'll tell you why. Because God is not the center of everything we are and everything we do. And when God becomes the center of your universe and the entirety of your being, joy will overflow from your life. My heart and my flesh, he says, sing for joy to the living God. It seems that the psalmist was experiencing some kind of forced absence from the tabernacle. Now, this psalm was written by the sons of Korah. And when David was on the run from his son Absalom, when Absalom was trying to overthrow David's throne, the sons of Korah went with David. David. Okay, And they were there as a guard around David to protect their king. And so it is during this time they were not able to go to the tabernacle. And, and this, this psalm expresses the longing of a heart, not merely for the rituals of the temple, but for the presence of God Himself. And this is something else that, let me, let me tell you something that will make your church-going experience that much richer don't come into this building listening waiting and anxious to sing the, the great songs of the faith don't come into this building anxious to hear the preaching of god's word as much as you come into this building anxious to be in the presence of god himself God is the center of it all. God is to have the center of attention. And so this psalmist, he expresses a longing in his heart, not for just all the rituals. And you have to keep in mind that during this time when he wrote this, in the tabernacle, all the rituals pointed to God. Brought brought God into the very presence of the people. Today, We have the Lord Jesus Christ who brings us into the presence of God and when you and I gather as the body of Christ, we come in here together and we must come in here with one focus. And and we talked about this last Sunday night. What is the ultimate goal of our lives? Soli Dale, Gloria. To the glory of God alone. We come in here and we sing and we preach and we gather and we fellowship and we do everything we do to the glory of God alone. And, Paul, and, and and this is what brings joy to our life. <clears throat> you know, this psalm is organized into three sections. And each section is defined by a beatitude, a statement of blessing. Look at verse 4. He says, How blessed are those who dwell in your house. Verse 5, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Verse 12, Uh, Oh, Yahweh of hosts, how blessed is a man who trusts in you. The psalmist expresses his envy. Uh, Read on with me. Let's read the first four verses again. He says, how lovely are your dwelling places. Oh, Yahweh of hosts. My soul has longed and even fainted for the courts of Yahweh. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the bird has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she sets her young. At your altars, O Yahweh of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. So the psalmist expresses his envy for the birds that make their nests in the temple. He 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 may be standing afar off and looking at the temple and how he longs to go there and he says there are birds that are building nests in the temple and how I envy them because they're able to be in God's house. Listen. I'm astonished. <clears throat> I read the other day that uh, there are a poll that they asked Church members, they asked this to church members. How important is the gathering of God's people or going to church? How important is that? You know, and about 40% said that is very, very important. You know what that means? That 60% don't think it's important at all. But the psalmist, he says, How blessed are those who dwell in your house. He says the the birds are there and I envy these birds. The animals attain a contentment far beyond what humans can get from this world. And he contrasts their experience to his own. He said even the birds have found a home. And to swallow a nest for yourself where he sets her young. At your altars, O God, well, we have hosts, my king and my God. Surely our restlessness is explained by our spiritual constitution, which is suited only for a higher realm than this temporary one that we live in. And the psalmist says, The birds have found a home in God's house. And he says, I long to be there in this. This is why the psalmist longs for God. It's why he is separated uh, when, while he is separated from the place of worship. And he, like us, we ha- he has a God-shaped hole in his heart. And it can only be fulfilled by the presence of God himself. <clears throat> Part of the problem with modern day Christianity is this. Come to Jesus, and he'll heal you. Come to Jesus, and he'll fix your marriage. Come to Jesus, and he'll give you a good job. He'll help you financially. Now, can Jesus do all those things? Yes, he can. Will he do all those things? Not always. And as Paul Washer points out, if you come to Christ for anything but Christ... It's idolatry. And we have to look that there's only one thing in our lives, that God, we were created by our Creator to worship Him. And until we find satisfaction in God, we will never find it anywhere else. All of us are seeking a home. We seek rest. We want peace, uh, belonging, and contentment. satisfaction and joy yet we live in an age that seeks all of those things everywhere except in God we want to find it everywhere else we find it in drugs we find it in alcohol we find it in sex we find it in money we find it in everything except the only place that it can be taken care of and that is Christ himself And that's why ours is such a restless, dissatisfied generation despite an abundance of wealth and pleasure. Only by trusting in God can a man or woman settle as a bird does in its nest with peace and satisfaction and with life's greatest longing fulfilled. This is what it means to call yourself a Christian. It means that you have found everything you need in life in Christ. You don't need anything else. The believer has found his identity, his purpose, and his home in Christ alone. And it is only as we find it in Christ alone. Look at verse 5. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also wraps it up with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each of them, each one of them appears before God in Zion. So in the first four verses, what he said was this. I want to go to the house of God and gather with the people of God and worship God. I want to go into the house of God and 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 be in the very presence of my God. And now he goes on and and, and he says there in verse 4, "How blessed are those who dwell in your house." In verse 5, he says, "How blessed is the man whose strength is found in you." We become uh when, when we are born again into this into this Christian life, you and I become strangers and pilgrims in this world. We don't belong here. And I want to tell you, if you feel at home in this world, the only thing I can tell you is you need to be saved. Because we are strangers and pilgrims, Peter says, in this world. We don't belong here. We, We have another home. A home that is built without hands. And we long for that. We are just pilgrims and strangers journeying to this distant land. And we have not yet arrived, though our hearts are there already. Verse six, he talks about the valley of Baca. Baca means weeping or suffering. Anybody found out yet that in this world you will have trouble? How About suffering, How about weeping. We will have more days in this world weeping and sorrow and trouble than we will have not. But Jesus told us that. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And the valley of Baca, that word means weeping. And the Christian life includes many places of weeping that we will go through. Over in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Peter says... In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter here, he he is saying, we rejoice... When trials and, and, you know, Paul says we are to give thanks in everything. He says rejoice always. Now I have found myself in, in circumstances in my life where joy, rejoicing was the furthest thing from my mind. But Paul says we are to give thanks in all things. We are to rejoice always. And he says that the reason, Peter says the reason you can do that is because what we go through in this life is God making us into the image of his son. And that is our ultimate goal. To be made into the image of of the Son of God. And God employs these trials and these tests to strengthen our faith. And Psalm 84 says that when those who seek God pass through the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. He says it may be the valley of weeping, but we make it into a place of refreshment. You, you may have heard this before, but I want to read something to you. <clears throat> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. If we go back further, he says, Yahweh is my, what? Shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that's what Psalm 84 is talking about right there. He says, even though, he says, it, passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also wraps it up with blessings. And they go from strength to strength. Each one of them appears before God in Zion. Trusting in the promises of God. Looking to what God has said in His words. We need to fix our eyes upon the cross that declares God's love for us. And has taken away our sin. Listen, you may have problems in this life. I'm sorry. You will have problems in this life. But my friend, I want to tell you, there is no problem you have greater than your sin. And God has removed it for those who are saved. It's gone. John tells us that we have passed from death into life. And we keep our eyes focused. We look to the cross of Calvary where the Lord Jesus Christ bore the sin of His people and when He was done, He said, it is finished. It's done. It's accomplished. And our sin was gone. And we can fix our eyes and we can say, God, I know You love me. Paul tells us For God has demonstrated His love for us. In that, while we're still sinners. You don't have any idea how important that little phrase is right there. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So you want to know if God loves you? Just look at the cross. And that's God shouting to all of His people, yes, I love you. And he took away our sin. And so the, the the psalmist says, remember now, he's more than likely on the run with David. But he says, how blessed is the man whose strength is in you? He says, we have trouble. We have problems. We're going through the uh, the, the valley of Baca, the valley of, of suffering and weeping. But God is everything. Listen, God... Let me tell you something about Jesus Jesus did not come to give you salvation. He did not come to give you joy. He did not come to give you peace. He came to be your salvation, to be your joy, to be your peace, to be your everything. You understand that? You see how the difference that makes? And Jesus is our salvation. He is everything to us. Only God can fill our souls, and only He can give us strength for our heart. And that's where I was going with that. Jesus is our strength. He is. He, you don't have to pray and say, Oh Lord, give me strength. Because when you as a believer say that, Jesus says, I am your strength. Lord, give me peace in this situation. And he says, I am your peace. You remember when Jesus was, when the disciples were out on a boat and there was a storm and it was dark. And all of a sudden they see somebody walking on the water and that scared them. By the way, it would have me too. And you. But they see somebody walking, and they were afraid. And Jesus cried out to them and said, Don't be afraid. I am. That's what he said, literally. Don't be afraid, for I am. Now, they were probably more afraid when he said I am than they were seeing him walk on the water. Because the last time that anybody had heard Someone saying, I am, it was God talking to Moses on the mountain. He said, who do I tell them has sent me? And he said, you say, I am that I am. So you know what Jesus was saying? He's saying, I am God. I am the creator. I am the savior. I am all these things. And so the the psalmist is saying that through the valley of, of suffering and weeping, there's refreshment. Because of the presence of God. He says that at the end of verse 7. Each one of them appears before God in Zion. Verse 8. <clears throat> o Yahweh God of hosts hear my prayer. Give ear O God of Jacob. See our shield O God. And look upon the face of your anointed. Now I love this next verse. For a bet, for better is a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would choose to stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, I got to tell you, there's another t- verse, uh, translation that I love the way they translate that verse. And it says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than stand in the tents of wickedness.
1: Verse 11, for
0: Yahweh God is a sun and a shield. Yahweh gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk blamelessly. O Yahweh of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Those who long for God and seek him and dwell in him, he says, are truly blessed. Are truly blessed when we know him and we are uh, we are found in him. And in this last section, the psalmist relates lessons he has learned along the pathway of life. Uh, in verse 8, he begins with the importance of faith. Oh Yahweh of hosts, hear my prayer. Now, what's that have to do with faith? Well, you take faith and you take prayer and you put them together and you have real prayer. We pray. Christian, do you realize what a tremendous privilege you and I have? The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way, that we may boldly approach the throne of grace to find help in a time of need. Boldly approach the throne of grace. You know why I can boldly approach the throne of grace? Because that's my father and I'm his son. Because that's your father and you're his child. And you show me a Christian that does not pray, and I'll show you a miserable person or an unsaved one. Prayer for the believer is as natural as breathing. You know, someone asked Charles Spurgeon one time. He said, what do you think is more important, prayer or reading the Bible? And he said, well, what do you think is more important, breathing in or breathing out? He said, because both should be just as natural to the believer. Those who seek God pray often. We realize that God is near, that He looks upon His children. He's always ready to hear the cries for their help. Now, you know, it's interesting that we talk about that, because next week I'm going to begin the series through the book of Habakkuk. And the first complaint that this prophet has against God is this. I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, and you just don't seem to hear God. Why are you not doing anything? Now, I'm not going to get into that sermon right now, but that's a cliffhanger right there. But the point is, God will answer Habakkuk, and he will say, I've heard you. I've heard you. You know, when Daniel prayed, and the angel Gabriel came and he said, Listen, Daniel, I'm sorry I'm delayed. But the prince of the power of the air hindered me. He said, But the moment you began to pray, God sent me. We need, and and he says here, O Yahweh, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Verse 10 says for it better is a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Believer, let me ask you a question. Where would you rather be right now than right here? I mean, isn't this better than being in the best hospital in the world? (laughs) Do you enjoy being in God's house with God's people? You know, we kind of talked about this Wednesday night. Did you know that the Sunday evening and the Wednesday evening church services are no less important than this one? As a matter of fact, in some ways, they're probably even more important. Because you come in here and you sit there and you listen to me do all the talking. But when we come in here on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night, we all get to talk. Open Bible study. So we realize this, uh, the, the, that the smallest act rendered to God is far greater than the pleasures of unbelief and sin. And, and when he says here, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. He said, I would choose to stand at the threshold of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This shows humility and how slow we are to learn this lesson. Are you ashamed of being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you rather be a doorkeeper in the house of your God? That, by the way, that was a place of a slave. That was a place of a slave, of a servant. And to dwell in the tents of wickedness meant that you were somebody meant you had influence, meant you had money, meant you had power. And the psalmist says, look, I'd rather be the lowly nobody standing at the doorway of my God's house than to dwell with all of this. It shows humility, and at a profound level, this is our sin. That we do not render to God the glory that He deserves. We don't give God first place in our lives. And until we do, until God, it has not a prominent place, but the preeminent place in our life. You will never know the joy you could know and the satisfaction you could know and the the contentment you could know in knowing that God has first place. How great is our constant need of God's forgiving mercy. Verse 11 says, For Yahweh, God, is a sun and a shield. Yahweh gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk blamelessly. God provides us with everything we need. I'm reminded of the children of Israel passing through the wilderness for 40 years. Their clothes never wore out, their shoes never wore out, they never were hungry, and they never were thirsty. They had round-the-clock people sewing on their clothes, right? No. There was a shoe store ever so miles. Is that true? No. Hey, they drank water from a rock. They walked outside and there were quail everywhere. They saw this wonderful food just come down out of the sky. Because God provided. And these, these were an unbelieving disobedient people. And he still took care of them because they were still his people. So imagine how God will take care of those. He says here, uh, In verse 11, no good thing does he withhold from those who do what? Walk blamelessly. You know how you walk blamelessly? You walk in Christ. You walk in Christ. And he says, oh, Yahweh of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Do you know the blessing of trusting God? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I know the way, I know the truth, and I know the life. That's not what he said. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He didn't say, I'm going to show you where they are. He said, I am that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And in that statement that Jesus made right there is found the answer to every question raised in Psalm 84. It is because of Christ that those who trust in God are blessed. Listen, I have found this this right here is a true statement. Okay? You tell me if you have not experienced this right here. You can go out into this world. You can stand in the public arena and you can talk about God and people will talk to you about God. You go out into the public arena. You stand up and you begin to talk about Jesus. And you got to fight on your hands. Or they won't even listen to you. Jesus is what makes all the difference in the world. And it's because of Him and only because of Him we find everything that we need. Do you have a heart for God? Listen, folks, when you are born again and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you, you will have a heart for God because that's what He longs for. Do we have a heart for Him? Do you do all things to the glory of God? We need, listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I say, listen to what I'm tell-, tell you right now. We need men and women who love and long for God in our churches today. That's what we need. And here's an interesting thing to that. When you have a man who loves and longs for God more than anything else, you know what he's going to do? He's going to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When you have wives who are loving and longing for God more than anything else, they're going to be in submission to their own husbands as to the Lord. And when, you have a, when we have a group of people who love and long for God more than anything else, you know what we're going to have? We're going to have a body of Christ that longs to glorify Him. John tells us in the book of 1 John that we love Him only because He first loved us. In all of our troubles, we can praise God. You know what? the book of Job, Chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. Now, anybody here has never heard the trouble Job went through? If you've been here very long, I know you have because I spent about a year and a half teaching through this book. We all know the troubles that Job had. And in verse uh, chapter 19, verse 25, he says, As for me, I know. That my Redeemer lives. Now, what's interesting about that? Jesus hadn't been born yet. But yet, He lives. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, I will rise up over the dust of this world. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall behold God. Whom I myself shall behold. And not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how shall we persecute him? And the root of the matter is found in him. Then be afraid of the sword for yourself. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword. So that you may know there is judgment. Listen, I, I, I was listening to Stephen Lawson the other day. A sermon he preached. And it was... Great. Of course, all his sermons are great. But here's what he said You have two appointments. From the moment you're born, you live every second of your life pointing to two appointments. These are appointments you can't cancel, these are appointments you can't change. God himself has set the date of these appointments. Psalm 139, where he says, you know, the, you, you knew my days before there were any of them. God has determined the length of your life. And here's the two appointments. Number one is, you will die. Number two, there's judgment. For it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. But listen, For those who are in Christ, we can say with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. My Savior lives. And that in my flesh, I will behold Him. You see, as a believer in Christ, I've already faced my judgment. I faced it at the cross in Christ when He bore the wrath for my sin and your sin, if you've been saved. If not, there's coming a day when you're going to stand before a holy God and be judged for your sin. And you will be found wanting. And you will hear those words, depart from me. I never knew you. But the psalmist he says, I long for God's house. I long to be with God's people. I love my God. I long to be where I can worship Him in, in, in spirit and in truth. Now don't get me wrong. doesn't mean you can't worship God at home. Or at work. Or wherever you are. But what he's saying is, I want to gather with God's people. And I want to behold my God. My heart longs for that. And as we draw near to God and the vision grows brighter and our hearts will likewise say, O Yahweh of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Now listen, my friends. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of His Father. You know what the will of His Father is? That you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God's not interested in whether you're a church member, whether you're a Baptist, or whether you're a Presbyterian, or whatever. And to say those things weren't important, I said that He's not so much interested in those things as He is in knowing whether or not you have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. In repentance, confession of your sin, trusting in Christ alone to save you, knowing that the day will come when we will stand before a holy God and he looks at me and says, why should I let you into my heaven? And I'm going to point at Jesus and say, because of him. And he's going to say, come on in. Come on in. Will He tell you to come on in? When we, when we bow the knee to Christ, repent of our sin, confess our sins, and trust in Him alone to save us. You know, you've heard me say this before. If 99 of my salvation is based on what Christ did. And the rest is based on what I do. I'm going to hell. Do you know that? It's 100% Christ. And that's it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you this morning that you have given us a place, Father, where we can gather. May we with the psalmist say how lovely are your dwelling places. May our hearts long Father to be in your house with your people. To gather together Lord to worship you and you alone. Father thank you that in this world though we have tribulation Jesus has overcome the world and in him we find our strength. In him We have peace and joy and contentment. Oh, Father, may we humble ourselves before you and be willing to be a doorkeeper in your house than dwell in the house of the wicked. Father, may we be truly blessed who find our satisfaction and our joy in you and you alone. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come this morning to the Lord's table, I want to remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul, that he says, let a man examine himself. To come to the Lord's table is for God's people. So I would ask you, I want you to take a few moments this morning, and I'm going to ask you to search your heart. Make sure, number one, that you know, that you know Christ as Savior and Lord. And I want to ask you to ask God to search your heart and see if there be any wicked way in us that we, might, that we not come to God's table with unconfessed sin in our life, but that we might come with clean hands and a pure heart. So we'll take just a moment before we begin.